And then week two, God will always provide. Well, I want to give you a little review because I know y'all been, you know, studying 1 Kings 17 since we've missed the past two weeks. But I want to give you a review of what we talked about in week one. I want to set up the scene for what's going on in the days of Elijah. We've got the northern tribes, which is called the kingdom of Israel. And we've got the southern tribes, the kingdom of Judah. King Ahab, everyone say King Ahab. King Ahab, ruler over Israel, convinces the people not to worship God, but to worship Baal and Asherah. Remember, he says, it's, it takes way too long to go there. Those people don't like us anyways. We're, we're, let's just worship the gods I've set up. It, basically, that's how it happened. And they were worshiping God, the Baal and Asherah, and all of a sudden, God calls on a nobody, Elijah. He just kind of pops up in 1 Kings 17 to say, hey, I want you to go to King Ahab and call upon a drought for the nation. Now, Baal, one of the gods, he was the god of dew, the god of rain, and the god of fertility. In other words, he was the god that they gave credit for life, fertility, and the things needed to sustain life. They needed the dew and the rain to sustain their crops and their living. So everything they needed to live and do what they do, they were giving credit to a false god. It, it, I can almost say that that's basically where America and the world's at. We need God for healing, but you know, we trust in a mask more than God. And no, nothing wrong with a mask. There's people in here with masks. I want to make sure that we get that. Nothing wrong with masks. Wear a mask, don't wear a mask. But don't put your faith in the mask. Right? Right? They are trusting in all of the life stuff of Baal. And Elijah speaks on God's behalf and says, there's a drought on this nation. Elijah speaks on God's behalf that the true God, Yahweh, is not going to allow it to rain. Why? So that the people can see that their God of Baal is a false God. And that life and the things needed to sustain life come from one place, Yahweh. Amen? So here we have Elijah. He's depending on food from ravens. If you remember, he, he was led to the, 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 the Kareth brook. Because when you come against the king and you're an enemy, they're going to want to kill you. They're going to want to take you out. So he's led to the brook, and he's depending on water from the brook and food that ravens brought him. And, and really, in essence, he's getting out of this religious mindset because him, as a Jew, he only eats clean things, and now the clean food is being brought to him through an unclean vessel called a raven. So he's literally having to break down the, the tradition and the religion in his mind. He's eating stuff from an unclean vessel, right? So he's, he's at this brook. That, 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 was, that was good. <laughs> He's at this brook, depending on ravens and water, and all of a sudden, the brook dries up. Why does the brook dry up? There ain't no rain. Why ain't there rain? Because Elijah's God said, call upon a drought. Can you imagine what's going through Elijah's mind? You told me to tell him there ain't no rain, and now here I am, sitting by a brook, eating food from birds, and now there ain't no water because of what you told me to do. Now in that moment, again, this is, I'm jacked up. I haven't preached in two weeks. <laughs> yeah, more espresso. 
He just spoke a drought. He just said, hey, it ain't going to rain till I say it's going to rain. Because he was speaking on behalf of God. Now, in that moment, he could have said, let it rain, let it rain, right? Like, God, I need some water in this brook. Let it, I, you told me I could say it, let it rain, but he didn't. He trusted in God and not himself. So today, we're going to start continuing in the story where Elijah has no more water at the brook. So in 1 Kings 17, verses 8 through 9, it says this. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. You see, God keeps moving Elijah. First, he started out in his home in Gilead, and then he goes to the king to speak a drought, and then he goes to the Kareth brook, and now he's off to Zarephath. And every time he went to a new place, it was a new place where he had to learn to depend on God even more than the last time. Because when you go where God calls you to go, it's often to a place that isn't your usual and is not your norm. And when he calls you to go to a place that is not your usual or not your norm, it's going to require a new level of trust that you did not have before. And when you won't go to places that are not your norm, there's really no need to depend on him because you don't need any new levels of growth. Okay? We do it in life. You grow up dependent on mom and dad. And then you start to live with a roommate. And you learn things ain't exactly like they are at mama's house in the real world. Like you've got to come up with your own food. Right? And then you you live on your own. You go through these life transitions. You get a job. You go to college. You start a career. Each phase of life requires a different level of dependence on him because you're learning a new norm. You're walking into places you've never been before. And yet many believers love to stay where you're good at. Because we don't like growth. Because to grow requires us to learn how to steward in new areas. And when you're required to steward in new areas, you might have... What is going on with that? You you might... it's, it's, It's just it's the anointing. And when you start to walk in new areas that you're not used to, it's going to require some level of dependence that might make you look different than you were before. And one of the biggest things we say as people is, well, this is just who I am. Has it ever occurred to you God may not be satisfied with who you is? Trust me, no matter how great you are today, he's got plans for you to be better tomorrow. And that's a never-ending plan until the day you meet him in eternity. And to get satisfied with this is just, this is just who I am is actually rebellion to his plan of restoring you to who you truly are. And in the, and in the path of restoration, he says, I'm going to take you to a new place where you're going to have to learn to depend on me in a new way, and it's not always going to be obvious. And the reason we don't like to go to the new areas is because we can sometimes get scared about, well, how am I going to get taken care of in that area? 
Because we say God will always provide, but when he calls you to an unfamiliar place, do you really believe it? <laughs> you see, Elisha was being moved from his home to this region where Queen Jezebel was from, where King Ahab reigned. This was a dangerous place that he was being moved to. You see, we love being called to the easy, but what do you do when God calls you to an unsafe, threatening place? Like, what do you do when God calls the church to assemble in a time where it's going to be illegal to assemble? Threatening places. What do you do when God calls you to the hard, to the places that will look scary? Because his goodness, when God calls him to this, I'm, I want to call you into enemy territory where they know who you are. You're the dude that called upon a drought and it ain't, it ain't, you said it ain't going to rain for three and a half years. They don't like that. This isn't exactly a good place for Elijah to be. And God's moving him back here. And the goodness of the call is actually at the end of verse 9. Look at it again. Go and live in the village of Zarephath. It's the next slide. Near the city of Sidon, I've instructed a widow there to feed you. Look at the goodness. I want you to go to a place that's scary, but I've got provision waiting on you. Because... You're in the place now at the brook where there's no water and you're dependent on ravens to bring you food. I want to take you to a new place and the reason I want you to have faith to depend on me in a frightening, scary, unfamiliar territory is there's a promise that I'm going to provide what you need to thrive in that area. God says, I'm asking you to go to an unfamiliar territory where you're not welcome but I'll provide for you there where your current place cannot provide. There are so many times we keep trying to make something produce that God won't allow to produce anymore. Like you're at a dried up brook and you keep looking at it wondering, is the water going to come? And then you do what the, the charismatics do. Dig up wells. You can dig it all day long, girl but water ain't coming. Is this too much? Right? Well, let's, let's, just, let's just try harder and let's scream louder and let's have more events and let's get more marketing and let's put our name everywhere and let's give the unsafe people coffee cards. Tell me I'm lying. Oh, no, what? I rebuke you. No. <laughs> We're at this dried up brook, and God's not saying stay there and wait. He's saying move to the place where I have provided you the thing to sustain you. And yet you stay in the place you've become accustomed to. He'll always provide. But the key is, you have to move to the place he has the provision waiting. Okay. It's like, if you lose your job, you don't sit on the couch and pray for a job offer. What do you do? Go looking. 
And while you're looking, God, I know there is provision somewhere. But what we've done in the church is we sit in our dried up places and just let it rain. I've already told you, I ain't letting it rain. Is this too much? Because we love to get accustomed to what we know. And we don't like to get out of the thought pattern of, if I can go to a place I don't know, maybe that very place is the, is the provision waiting on me that I need to be sustained. It's like the church loving tradition and they won't move from it. And they wonder why nothing produces anymore. It may have meant to produce for a while, but now you must go to a new place. It's, it's not about, maybe people will disagree, but if you do, you know, find another church. It's, it's not about digging up the old wells of revival. It's about walking into a new one. There's a reason they stopped. And they were never meant to. You want to know why the revival stopped? Because when they saw God manifesting in new ways, instead of continuing to follow him in the new thing, they made a system out of the manifestation. And they got dependent on their system and not following Holy Spirit. It's like, when God does something supernaturally crazy and then you market it and try to take it everywhere. And they stop. What it should have been is, and we sing the song sometimes, going from glory to glory. God, you did this. Wow. Now let's go to the next thing and the next thing and build upon that and go here and go there. And what we need to be seeking now is not how they did it. What we really need to be doing is just one thing. It's what, it's what they did. Seek God. That's all Elijah was doing. He wasn't coming up with plans like, well, should I go here? Should I go there? Well, how, can I, how can I get water? He was, he was just waiting for God to say, here is where your provision is. Here is where the sustenance is. Here is where I want you to go. Because he knew even when he could not see water, water was somewhere. Because he knew, even though I cannot see it, I walk by faith, not by sight. God will provide. And the thing, when he says, go to this place and a widow's going to feed you. You see, the thing about going to a widow at this time is that widows were famous for their poverty. So not only was God saying, Elijah, go to the city where the enemy territory is, but your provision lies in a poor woman's house. Okay? Not just a poor woman, but a poor woman in the midst of a drought. I don't know if y'all getting this. Hey, Elijah, go to this Gentile poor woman 
to receive what you need to live. I bet Elijah was thinking, I'll take my chances with the ravens in the brook. But Jesus even encountered this. The people were saying, this Jesus, he's Joseph's boy, he's a nobody. And look what happens in Luke 4, 24 through 27. I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly, he speaks about Elijah. There were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe, not just any famine, a severe famine devastated the land. Yet, Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet. Talk about bad, like, timing. Leprosy in the time of the prophet Elijah. But the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. See, we tend to think I can go anywhere where what I need is present. Well, I can go to any church to hear the word of God. I can go to any place to hear a good worship team. I can get any job. I can do whatever I want. But no, 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 no. Jesus says there was one widow out of all of them. That he was assigned to. And that one widow was in enemy territory that Elijah was assigned to go. He could not have gone to just anyone. And when you have a need, there is a specific place God has called you to. A person, a thing, a calling. But are you even including God in the conversation of where do I go, who do I find out, what is the provision, or are you still depending on everything of you that is your natural? Because that's what the church does. We don't say, God, where do you want us to go? We try to make the old stuff better. Isaiah 40, 31. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. Can I just say something? Don't beat yourself up for feeling weak at times. But there's only one way to find new strength. Trust. Well, I feel weak. I feel defeated. Of course you do. You're by, you're by dry brooks. But for some reason, you don't trust him enough to move I prayed about what I was supposed to do. Do something. Maybe we should be praying about where to go, not if we should go. So we're asking God the wrong questions. This, this is okay. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. Elijah was learning the power of trusting and waiting on God. He didn't go find water when the brook dried up. He trusted my God will provide. You see, Elijah at this point understood my God's going to provide. He just learned I have to allow the unclean things to bring me clean things. So God, he's like, wherever you want me to go, even in the unclean, even in the, the messed up territories, even to this poor woman who you say has got whatever I need, I'm going to go. It's the evidence that his faith is increasing. So he went. He goes to this poor widow in the enemy's territory. And just, I wrote this side note in my messages because we keep saying enemy's territory. Really and truthfully, it's all God's territory. It's just that it's mismanaged. Right. 
It's just that it's mismanaged. The enemy doesn't own anywhere. He's just managing things that he's not given the permission to manage. We forfeited permission. So he's operating in a false one. That's why they have to run when the name of Jesus enters the place. Because they don't have permission. They're operating in a false permission. So any of you that are going through hard times with principalities and all these things that are coming against you, they don't have permission to affect you unless you give it to them. There is no I fall into sin. You plan it. It all starts in the mind. That's why he says, guard your mind above anything else. There is no, the enemy got me. No, you let him. That's, that's a decision on you. And a lot of times, the reason the enemy is so triumphant in winning battles, because he's won the war, but there's battles we face every day, is that you have allowed the enemy to gain territory in your life that he was never meant to gain. And I believe a lot of times the reason he's getting so much in your life because you're standing at the brook when you were called to move on. So you're thirsty, so you'll drink anything provided. You're hungry, so you'll eat any kind of bread. Right? Like, like you're waiting on this, on this promise, and because you won't move from the brook, the enemy gives you a rotten form of it, so you take it. <laughs> well, I don't know what to do. Move. And I say that to say, if they're all God's, don't be scared to go places that look frightening because he may be bringing you to dark places so that they can find and learn how to bloom and grow. Amen. Look at verse 10. So he went to Zarephath, and as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, would you please bring me a little water and a cup? Now, now Elijah's got some nerve walking into the enemy territory, and he sees the widow, and obviously she's a poor woman, and she's gathering sticks. That's evidence of poor because that means she does not have a stockpile in her house already. She doesn't have logs. She doesn't have the stuff necessary. She's gathering sticks for a meal. And Elijah's like, hey, can you bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, hey, bring me a bite of bread too. Sure enough, he goes to the town, and the moment he arrives, a widow's there gathering the sticks. Elijah asks her, knowing she's poor, can you bring me water and bread? Now, this woman doesn't know Elijah from anybody. She went out to gather sticks, not to meet a stranger, but to feed herself, and what we come to find out, feed her son. Just minding her own business, trying to get ready to cook a meal. But you remember what verse 9 said? It said, God told Elijah, I have instructed a widow to feed you. 
She had no idea that she was walking in what God wanted her to do. I'm going to show you that in a minute. She just got an unction. I'm going to go gather sticks for the meal. She could have sat in pity. Oh, I don't have any sticks for the meal. It's pretty good, right? She could have sat in anger. She could have blamed Baal and the sheriff. Why ain't you giving this? She just got an unction. I'm going to go get some sticks. Don't ignore unctions to move. You ever get a thought to go and do something that's not in the norm of your day? What if God is setting you up to meet a need in a divine plan that you will never be made aware of unless you do it? This woman is just following a thought. I'll go get some sticks at the specific time in the day. And the moment she follows the unction of get some sticks for the meal, the strange Jew shows up and says, let me get some water and, oh yeah, let me get some bread. This Gentile woman sees a Jewish man asking for food and water. You see, God didn't choose her for just salvation. God chose her to feed the prophet. God doesn't just choose you for salvation, but to carry out a purpose. And in that purpose, there will be many humble acts of service. And I think that's where the church has lost it. It's get them saved, get them saved. But what about investing in them for their purpose? There's a reason Jesus is called the door. He is the way into your divine plan. It's not enough to stop at the door and look at how pretty it is every time we gather together as a church. Because that's essentially what the evangelical church has done. Jesus, you're beautiful. Jesus, you're beautiful. Jesus, you're beautiful. You know what Jesus would have done on earth? This is about my father. See, we don't like that, though. We forget there's three in one. God's already working in the mind of this woman. And she doesn't even know it, leading her to this particular place. <clears throat> Look at verse 12. <clears throat> but she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. Y'all know that woman. <laughs> she might be lying. We'll find out. I've only got a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last, this last meal, and then my son and I will die. She didn't have the bread, but she certainly had the stuff to do what? Make the bread. In a polite way, I want you to just leave that up there, Joe. Look at what it says. She said, I swear by the Lord, your God. In a polite way, she just said Elijah's God was not her own, and yet this woman who doesn't believe in Yahweh is being led by Yahweh. Because God loves you even when you don't know him. She don't get it wrong. She had respect and honor for Elijah's God, but she didn't know Elijah's God. So I swear by your God, I don't have anything. I've only got a handful of flour and a little oil. And I'm gathering sticks to cook all I've got for our last meal. This is how severe this famine is. 
Her and her son are literally about to die of starvation. And she's like, listen, all I've got is to cook us one last meal. I don't have anything for you. This woman wasn't only poor, but God led this woman to Elijah and then led Elijah to this woman as she was preparing her last supper. That's a whole other sermon. I won't go there right now. But look what happens in verse 13. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you said, but make a little bread for me first. And then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops to grow again. The first thing that God says through the prophet Elijah is what? Don't be afraid. Afraid of what? They were in drought. Crops weren't growing. (coughs) She had, (coughs) excuse me, she had no hope for food. She was scared for her life because she had nothing else. You see, before you can move forward into provision, you've got to stop being afraid. Fear that you won't be provided for is an evidence of a lack of trust. Well, I can't do that because I don't know if I've got what it takes. Do you not trust that God knows that he has equipped you with everything you need to complete his work? Well, not me, right? That's what we always say. Do you trust him? And then after God, speaking to Elijah, says, throw fear away, God says, sow what you've got. Give the first away. What does Elijah say? Before you ain't eating of it, give me the first. Not not just a tithe, like, like a money thing, but he says, give me the first and then prepare the rest for you. Give me a sacrifice. Give me the first of what you've got. Sacrifice what you have before you take for yourself. Hebrews 13 says it like this. Therefore, in verse 15, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming allegiance to his name. Don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. He simply wanted a sacrifice first. Your provision in an unlikely place where you've got to throw away fear and offer God a sacrifice. They were both doing it. Is this okay? The woman is going to pick up sticks. Don't be afraid of giving your stuff away to the stranger and just do it. Elisha, on the other hand, he's going to an unknown place in the enemy territory. He says, don't be afraid. Trust God. And Elijah, I want you to sacrifice your ability to get what you want by going to any widow and just speak to this one in particular one. Because I think one of the biggest things that's hard for us to do as people is sacrifice our ways and our strategies for his. Because we can do a lot of things to get sustenance. But on the end of your way, it won't last forever. On the end of God's, it will continually be filling up your containers. <clears throat> now remember... What Elijah said after he asked the widow to do all this. Verse 14. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. 
there will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and crops to grow again. Elijah knew he could make this request because of what God said. He said, give me what's first because the Lord says if you do it, your container is going to be full. In other words, Elijah has learned to make every move off of the word of God. And now he asks this widow to put her trust in his God. Does it make sense? I believe there's coming a day where all of our resources are going to be running out and drying up. And the only resource we're going to have is going to be coming from the word of God. But half the people limit the word of God to pages in a book. Everything lines up with this book. I believe that. But if you don't believe that he can speak to you about where to go and how to do it, then trust me, you don't know him as much as you think you do. He's an ever-present God. He is a living God. If he is a living God, that don't mean he's a deaf mute. He hears you and he speaks to you. And he doesn't just speak to you through, I mean, do you think God is really that small that if the government decided to seize all these and burn them up, that we're just screwed? Is it okay I say that in church? I don't care what you say about it. But think about it. I do care. I'm just trying to be cool. He's not limited to this. And Elijah's learning, whatever God says, I'll go for it. And some people will still stay in the dry places, but some will learn to shift their trust. So, look what happens in verse 15. This is where it gets cool. She did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. Instantly. Promise. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord promised to Elijah. She put her faith in his God. God came through. Why? Because God always provides. And there was always enough. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says this, God will generously provide all you need. And then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. But here's where we get in trouble with defining plenty. Because sometimes more than enough looks like just enough for whoever God needs to have it. In this case, it wasn't more than enough to share with the entire village. It was more than enough for the widow, the boy, and Elijah. Why? God knew the people. If the people would have got fed by this woman's faith, they would have probably given Baal the credit. Right? Because they didn't have to do anything to merit a sacrifice. She was receiving provision because she, too, like Elijah, was in a place unfamiliar to her, trusting in a God she did not know. And in verse 17, it says sometime later, here's where, this is where reality checks in. The woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse. And he finally died. And then she said to Elijah, 
Man of God, what have you done to me? That's just like church people. Have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? Now think about this. They were here experiencing provision day after day. Elijah trusting to go from here to here to there to getting this woman picking up sticks to feed him with just all she had, the first sacrifice of everything she had. Then all of a sudden God comes through. The containers are filled up. And in the midst of the provision, their needs being supplied, miracles pouring out, sickness and death. And oftentimes, we get to this place where God provides, 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 and then something happens that tries to throw a wrench in the whole thing. And here's the problem with the church. When the wrench gets thrown in, we focus on the wrench. And we give the wrench more power than the God who's been providing the whole flipping time. And we, and we look at the wrench and then question everything that God did. It's the most frustrating crap in the world. Has anybody ever seen that or been there? So for, and when that happens, because let's be honest, we're all in those times. It's like God shows you this and God shows you that and there's this great thing and great, 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 boom. You got two choices. The first choice is to do what the widow does. You start blaming, pointing the finger. Why has something happened? Elijah, what have you done? Now let me stop here and think, oh, she's blaming Elijah, but she's blaming a lot more than Elijah. Because look at what it says. It says, have you come here to point out my sins? She's blaming her sin for the rich. Are you pointing out my past? Did you come here to bring up everything I did before I met you and your God? And that's why my son's dying now? How many times after God provides when you trust him, do you blame a bad thing on a sin prior to the provision? You know God provided, and because you came up in a bad circumstance, it must have been something that I did before. If he had an issue with what you did before, he would not have provided Stop making your sin life more powerful than he is. I've got news for you. In 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says this. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life's gone. And it's not a new life will begin. The new life has begun. You want to know why you have trouble sometimes navigating new life? Because when you're reborn, you're learning how to crawl again. You're learning how to walk again. You're learning how to talk different. You're learning how to eat different. 
You're learning how to do all these things. And for some reason, you think that God is satisfied on feasting at his table in the way you feasted before you got reborn. Well, God's got grace. He wants you to change. If he liked you how you were, he would not have killed his son. I'm slobbering. Stop bringing up old stuff that God's forgotten about. Stuff happens. And sometimes it can be used as a test to see, do you trust in the provider? He actually does great things for you. Now, the other choice is still trust God when the wrench gets thrown in. I know you're looking for something much deeper. <laughs> still trust him. That's what Elijah did. Look what he does in verse 19. I'm doing, wow, it's only 7.30. All right. I've only got 20 more pages. But Elijah replied, give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms, carried him up the stairs to the, there's so much in the Old Testament that's in the New Testament. I'm going to meet you at the Last Supper, and then when it seems like your son's dead, we're going to go up to the upper room. <laughs> oh. carried him up to the stairs to the room where he was staying, laid the body on his bed, then Elijah cried out to the Lord, Oh, Lord, my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow? <laughs> Dang, Elijah. <laughs> Who's opened her home to me, causing her son to die. You know what Elijah did in that moment? He said, give me the problem. And I'll take the problem to the one who's led us this way. Give me the issue, and I'll take it to my God who brought me to you in the first place. He took the child to the upper room. I wish we had more believers who would stand with each other when we encounter lack, hurt, death, decay, and letdown. The kind of people who would say, you got a problem? Give it to me. We're going to go to the upper room with it. I'm going to get to this private, secluded, alone place. Give me your problem, because me and God, we're going to talk. Well, you don't know my situation. Give it to me. I know my God. Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, pray to your Father in private, and then your Father who sees everything will reward you. This is exactly what Elijah did. See, Elijah wasn't basing his relationship off of, look at what all I've done in front of the king, and look at what I did at the, the care of the book, relying on this, and look what I did going to the widow. It was, let me, get a, let me just go by myself with the wrench, right? And in verse 21 of 1 Kings 17, it says, he stretched himself, himself out over the child three times, and he cried out, to, and, and again, the son was dead, and it was three times. This is so, so much. If you, ever, if you ever have people tell you you don't need to know the Old Testament, rebuke them, please. Just kidding. Just love them. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get in trouble. He stretched himself out over the child three times, cried out to the Lord, Oh, Lord, my God, please let this life's child return to him. 
the Lord heard Elijah's prayer, and the life of the child returned, and he revived. See, the difference in Elijah and us is we have the written account of what to do, and Elijah did not. He was just acting on stupid, crazy faith. What was his faith? Oh, your son's dead? Let me take him upstairs. He, he, had, he had no history of an upper room. He didn't know about three times. He didn't know about go pray by yourself. He, he just knew one thing. I trust that my God is going to provide. And if he brought me here and he said he was going to give you food to last until this drought over, he specifically said, for you, the widow, and the son. And God says, Elijah said, if my God said it, the circumstance ain't going to make him out to be a liar. So give me your dead son and I'm coming back with him on a promise. And that's exactly what happened. Elijah knew through all he had experienced, God will always provide. <clears throat> and here's the beautiful thing where the whole thing ends. In verse 23, Elijah brought him down from the upper room, gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son's alive. And then the woman told Elijah, and now I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. God provided in every single way. You know what's cool? This little boy, this was the first person raised from dead in Scripture. And in that, look, the woman didn't say, I know that your Lord truly speaks for you. She said, I know that thee. She was, it's exactly what Clay preached last weekend. She was a witness to the true power of testimony of resurrection. And when she witnessed it, even though she grew up a Gentile and now worshiping in, in, in this town of Baal and Asherah, because she saw true power, she said, man of God, your God is my God. And church... And this whole thing that God will provide. <clears throat> I just want to end with this. The way that this country, that this city, <clears throat> that this world is going to change is when we stop just talking about the power of resurrection and we start becoming a witness and a testimony to the power of resurrection. And it's going to take some risks. It's going to take some crazy faith. It's going to take us looking like we're a bunch of idiots blabber-jabbering, just being real. But I am tired of just talking about Jesus and not seeing the power that the 12 disciples saw when they walked with him. We've got to go deeper. We've got to hold each other accountable. When you hear people cursing stuff, well, that's never going to happen. You need to stand up and don't come to me about their lack of faith. Stand up in that moment and say, let me take your problem to my upper room. You want to talk, talk about building a family of believers? Let's take each other's issues to our upper rooms. Let's start really going into intercession for each other instead of having to have a night of intercession at Relentless. Because it doesn't say get together all the Christians of the town and pray 
in a building for healing. It says, get away by yourself in a secluded place where no one sees you. You want to know why? Because that's when God gets the real true you and not just a bunch of fluff because you're trying to make others think you're actually worshiping. Because when you're by yourself, you don't know how to talk to God. And then when you hear yourself try, you, you think you sound dumb. But that's where God loves you. Because he's like, that, that's, the auth- that's the authentic intimacy that I've been waiting for. You don't know how to talk to me. And now you're trying because you love me. God's not impressed with, oh, Lord, Savior God, uh, uh, you know, of the New Testament faith in Matthew. No, he, sometimes he just wants to hear, I don't, know what to, I don't know what to say to you, but here's what I need. But you know what it hinges on? You actually believe that God will provide. Because if you actually believed it, you do anything for it. Church, I say we go there. I say we become a people that say, you know, we actually believe that God will provide. We're actually going to go to our secret. We're actually going to hold each other accountable to a new lifestyle. We're actually going to not settle for rotten bread and wait on good bread. We're not going to settle on the, the false streams. We're actually going to walk into the living water of God. And if it takes us going to a place that doesn't look normal, we're willing to wait and go to that place when God says to do it. Because... What if, what if relentless in a year from now, this house, what if in a year we're not supposed to look like how we are right now, but the only way to get there is to move out of stuff that you come here for and love? Because what, what happens in church is God led me here. And then when we start making changes that you don't love, it's God's leading me somewhere else. Maybe, hear me out, sometimes, but you better include God in that conversation and not just your mind. Well, I don't like all that. Yeah, he knows. That's why he's exposing you to it. You know, I got, I got some advice this past weekend from Clay and Jackie. I got some, some lunch time with them. And I was talking about how, you know, there's still some things I'd like to learn and I don't quite get yet. And they, they gave me the most valuable piece of information that is just so stupid simple that I felt dumb when they said it. I was talking about the things I want to learn. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you all because, you know, then you'll ask me questions and I can't answer it. Then I'm going to feel weird. <laughs> they said... Every podcast and every book and every music you listen to, change it to where you want to go and surround yourself in that sound. You don't don't know what five-fold ministry is? Study it for yourself. I don't know how to study it. Get every podcast about it. Get every book about it. Do whatever whatever you fill your ears and your mind with. Start doing it. I don't know if I believe this. It's in the Bible. Right? I don't, I, don't, I don't know how I feel about spiritual gifts. Well, start 
changing your sound from those that think it's false to those that don't. Well, I don't know about this whole healing thing. Well, start listening to testimonies of it, and maybe one day you'll actually believe the testimonies. It's not hard. But we don't do it because we say, yeah, God can do anything, but you don't believe he'll provide a healing like that. You don't believe he can do something in tongues. or you don't, you don't believe, let's, let's get out of the ones listed in Scripture. You, you, don't, you don't believe that all of a sudden God can write a check to pay off your debt. Not because you gave more money, but simply because you picked up sticks. Because can we get real about that? The church has normalized it. Give more money to get more money. The Bible doesn't say that. The, the Bible simply says, give a tithe and I'll bless you. But the church has tried to define the blessing to manipulate the tithe. Mm -hmm. God will provide. It's not just about being a unified house. It's about being a unified house of seekers. I mean, like, why, why not get honest with each other? Instead of acting like you know something that I would call simplistic, just tell me. I don't get it. No one in this house is going to come at each other like, well, you're not as mature. This is, this is not a contest. Let me know where you don't know so we can help grow you. And the same for me. That's what a family of believers is supposed to be. People always, you know, well, what's the key to discipleship? How do you disciple someone? How do you make someone a disciple? It's really easy. Live a life of God that they see in you and want to become. That's how you disciple someone. And when someone starts coming to you and say, hey, can you disciple me? It's because they've seen something in your life that they want to become. So it's, it's simple. They see God in you. It's, it's not, I've got 45 Bible studies that you need to do. It's not read this book to become a disciple. It's God told me to give this up and look what happened. It's the testimony of power. And that's exactly what happened tonight with Elijah. Everything ended up in a testimony of power because he did something very simple. I'm going to provide that God's going to give me what I need by going into an enemy territory to a poor woman picking up sticks for her last supper that is going to end up having a dying child. And it ended up being that woman's salvation and Elijah's provision. God will provide. Let's become a people that believe it. Amen.